Hi, I'm Paul Furman. In this podcast, I will be interviewing Eunice Chu, a disputes resolution partner with the firm of Oldham Lee and Nee, about underground banking. Hi, Eunice. Hi, Paul. Thank you for the introduction. Underground banking is a common practice in all parts of the world, including in mainland China and in Hong Kong. It's a fact of life, really. It becomes an issue generally only when it is coupled with a fraudulent act. When this happens, the Hong Kong courts will need to decide if recipients of money sent through underground banking that have been mixed in with proceeds of crime are entitled to keep that money. Okay, well, I'm with you so far, Eunice, but what exactly is underground banking, if I may ask? Well, underground banking is essentially the conversion of currency that is not widely tradable in the open market into a currency that is. For example, currencies in some Eastern European countries, Russia and mainland China, are currencies that are not widely tradable in the open market, and sometimes there are even restrictions on the transfer of such money out of the country. And, and how, how does this affect Hong Kong, or where does Hong Kong get involved? So let's say you want to buy something in Hong Kong that's worth uh, 1 million US dollars. Your money is in mainland China in renminbi. So you go to a so-called underground banking agent in mainland China, give them renminbi, which is the equivalent of US $1 million, and then ask them to exchange the renminbi into US dollars, then wire it to Hong Kong, uh, to a bank account in Hong Kong. Now, what normally happens is the agent collects the renminbi, but instead of using the same renminbi to do the conversion and transfer to Hong Kong, they use U.S. dollars that are already sitting in a Hong Kong bank account and transfer it within Hong Kong to the recipient's Hong Kong bank account. Okay, I'm with you so far, Eunice. Please keep going. Great. Um, again, this normally would not be an issue with Hong Kong's authorities unless the Hong Kong account has been used to store proceeds of crime or proceeds of fraud. And therefore, the underground banking money gets mixed in with uh, money obtained through fraud. And this is when the police steps in or the innocent person who got defrauded, we call that the plaintiff, then starts a civil claim against all levels of recipients. Uh, I understand so far, Eunice, but is, is, this, is this illegal or legal? Well, underground banking may be illegal in mainland China because it circumvents some foreign currency exchange control legislation. But Hong Kong courts used to take the approach that, the, that illegality in a foreign jurisdiction does not necessarily render transactions resulting from the illegal act in the foreign country unenforceable in Hong Kong. So uh, there are a lot of double negatives there. What, simply put, uh, the illegality in the foreign country generally does not impact on the legality of a different transaction that happens in your domestic jurisdiction. I see. And, 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 and are there any cases that represent this approach? There are. Um, in 2017, Madam Justice B.B. Chu decided in a case called BR Cat uh, 
that uh, money originating from a fraudulent act, in this case, the fraudulent act took place in Saudi Arabia, and um, this money was then subsequently mixed together with underground banking money. And the, the, Madam Chu decided that it was okay in the sense that the recipient of the money was entitled to keep it on the basis that he had no actual or constructive knowledge of the fraud. So, so that sounds rather like the um, situation where you're handling stolen goods. If you don't actually know or, or constructively have constructive knowledge of that the goods are stolen, then you can keep them. Exactly. Um, it's exactly like the case with stolen goods. So, for example, if you're buying a piece of jewelry uh, and you didn't know, and, and the piece of jewelry turned out to have been stolen, uh, you, you really take free. In other words, you're entitled to keep the piece of jewelry unless you had prior knowledge that that piece of jewelry came through illegal sources. And in this case, um, with uh, underground banking, we have the same kind of idea where if you actually know that underground banking was used or fraud had actually taken place, um, you, you should be able to claim innocence and be entitled to keep the goods. Alternatively, you uh, need to have what's, co what's called constructive knowledge in order to be deprived of what you're... you're otherwise entitled to, meaning you ought to have known uh, or you should have known or circumstances were so suspicious that you should have made reasonable inquiries to look into the propriety of the transaction. And, and may I ask you, what, what did Madam Justice Bibi Chu have to say about the underground, and underground banking aspect of this transaction? She recognized that underground banking may be illegal in mainland China, but this was not a feature of the case that she really took into consideration. What she was most worried about was whether the recipient was innocent or not. In other words, did the recipient had actual or constructive knowledge? Okay, I'm with you so far. Perhaps you could tell us something about the facts. Um, share something of the facts with us, please. Yeah, the facts are very similar to uh, the facts in most underground banking cases that come before the Hong Kong courts. So a foreign plaintiff, which happened to be a Saudi Arabian company, was duped by an online fraudster into transferring 1.4 million US dollars to various bank accounts located in Hong Kong uh, that belonged to the first layer of recipients. Then one of the first layer recipients transferred a part of that sum, being 323,000 US dollars, to the account of um, the eighth defendant, which was located in Hong Kong. Now, separately, the seventh defendant then needed to convert renminbi sitting in its Shenzhen account into US dollars and transfer it to Hong Kong. So the two defendants talked to each other and helped each other out. Right. Um, <laughs> basically, the, the underground banker asked, or sorry, the uh, eighth defendant uh, then asked uh, the seventh defendant to transfer the money into his accounts in Shenzhen and Fujian. And rather than converting the renminbi and wiring it to Hong Kong, the the eighth defendant 
whom we now know as the underground banker, simply used U.S. denomination received from the defrauded plaintiff, and which was sitting in an account in Hong Kong, oh, well. and transferred it on to the seventh defendant. That's, so, that sounds like money laundering to me, Eunice. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not money. It, 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 it is money laundering um, if you consider the... the uh, the fraudulent aspect of the case whereby the Saudi Arabian company was duped by an online person to transfer money um, into accounts in Hong Kong. But right. from the perspective of the person who had nothing to do with the fraud, right, which is the eighth defendant, or sorry, the seventh defendant, then uh, it really was not a, a matter of money laundering. It was a matter of money conversion. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. Now, what, what can you tell us about the famous case of DBS and Panjing decided in 2020 by Deputy High Court Judge Blair, Eunice? Ah, what I can tell you is that this was, a, this was one case in the line of three cases whereby the High Court looked at the issue of whether underground banking was illegal in mainland China, um, got some... Um, expert evidence from a lawyer or legal expert of Chinese law to say that it was legal. Legal legal or illegal? Illegal. Illegal, Illegal, right. Illegal in in mainland China. And then the court went on to decide that the so-called innocent recipient defense, which is what we've been talking about, um, i.e. the person didn't have any proper knowledge or constructive knowledge of the matter, so that this defense was decided to be not available in such cases. I see. What do you mean? Yeah. Um, but as lawyers, we can't help but notice that the recipient in the DBS and Panjing case was not innocent because he knew or should have known of the fraud. And we also cannot help but ask, would Judge Blair have decided the case differently if the recipient was totally innocent or about bored? Perhaps he would, but um, you, you've had some more recent experience in, in a case that you've been involved in, haven't you, Eunice? Yes, indeed. Um, my team and I recently had the chance to challenge uh, what people say is the principle set out in Panjing in a case called wave shipping. And what happened there was we argued that a mere recipient, i.e. an innocent person who received the funds without knowledge of the fraud or knowledge of the underground banking transaction, and moreover, who did not even instruct the underground banker to effect the transfer, should be able to keep the money. Right. So that's completely different from, from the other cases that you've talked about where they, they did at least have knowledge of the underground banking uh, element of the transfer. Exactly. And that knowledge uh, was very obvious. It, yeah. it, uh, it could be easily proven because they were the person who instructed the underground banker to do the transfer. In our case, our, our client did not do the instructing bit mm. of the transaction. And I understand this, this involved a, a Croatian bank account, didn't it? That's right. Um, it involved a, 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 an act of fraud 
which involved uh, the Croatian bank account, which our client did not participate in. So the plaintiff was defrauded into transferring something in the neighborhood of 2 million euros from its Croatian bank account to the underground banker's account based in Hong Kong. And upon receipt, uh, the defendant or the underground banker converted that uh, sum in euros into U.S. dollars and then transferred part of that sum into our client's bank account. Okay, now, so, so just stopping there, your client benefited to the tune of 320,000 U.S. dollars, did he? Yes, but the benefit was not without uh, its price. Our client, uh, being the being a supplier of healthcare products, sold these kinds of products to an unrelated third party. It was this unrelated third party that actually instructed the underground banker to transfer the money into our client's account as payment for the healthcare products that our client sold. I see, I see. Yeah, simply put, um, our client ran a proper business and had no knowledge whatsoever of the fraud and no connections with the fraudster in the fraud uh, that happened in Croatia or uh, any connections with uh, the underground banker. And so your, your client presumably is therefore being sued for the 320,000 US dollars, is that right? Yeah, that sum of money is actually frozen at the moment, which is what usually happens in these fraud and underground banking cases as the authorities step in or uh, the court is asked to, uh, to order an injunction against the movement of that money. And so the money sits in the bank account and, uh, and we're fighting over it right now. And how, how do, have you had a trial or a summary hearing or where, 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 what's the position at the moment then, Eunice, please? Yeah, um, we haven't gone all the way to trial because before we got to discovery, so th these are very procedural aspects uh, of a civil claim, uh, dear listeners, <laughs> ignore all that uh, detail. But basically we had a summary trial, meaning um, that the, the court was asked to uh, give a judgment on the chances of success at a very early stage of the proceedings. And we have just had the summary trial and we are awaiting a judgment. Um, Hopefully that's going to come soon. Soon? How, what, a month or two, you think? I'm hoping in another month. Um, oh. And two months uh, would not be uh, would not be unheard of. Um, even longer would not be unheard of. But of course, uh, we respect in these cases that the court needs time to do, uh, duly consider the different positions, the facts, um, and surely in this case, uh, that duty is is great because we have, as explained, underground banking is a controversial. Uh, issue or legal problem in Hong Kong that uh, saw different positions being right. taken by the different judges. I'm with you. And Eunice, that, that gives us a good opportunity to do another follow-up podcast in <laughs> one or two months' time, doesn't it? And let our, yeah. let our dear listeners know what the outcome of the case is. Absolutely. Yeah, All we'll right. do another one. 
you did that's great thank you very much for joining me on uh, this afternoon and uh, and i'm very interesting and i and i must say i just hope you're successful with your summary judgment application <laughs> i hope so too thank okay. you so much paul thank you Eunice. bye-bye bye-bye <laughs>